and cowardice that dares not face new truth, from the laziness that is contented with half-truth, from the arrogance that thinks it knows all truth. Good Lord, deliver us. Amen. One of the aspects of being an itinerant Methodist minister who has served six appointments now is that I have participated in a ridiculous number of get-to-know-you activities. Some of my favorites include when a group is asked to go around and answer such questions like, what was your first concert? Or if you could travel anywhere in the world, where is it that you would choose to go? At one such activity or event, just a few months ago, here at Apex with the Encore group, someone asked if you could be a vegetable, any vegetable, which vegetable would you choose? Honestly, had not given that thought prior to that question being asked. One of the most interesting get-to-know-you activity questions, though, was when a group leader once asked, choose a scar on your body and share how it is that you got that scar. People went around and the answers got real, real fast. One woman shared how she had a scar, scar on her leg from when she got tied up in bicycle gears when she was trying to deliver Girl Scout cookies as a kid. Another shared how he had a scar on his forehead when he was on his family farm and he went out to say something to his dad who was chopping wood at the time and the axe came back and grazed his forehead. Another shared a scar that she had on her wrist from when she was in a car accident and had fallen asleep at the wheel. Another shared a scar, a scar that still had stitches on it, a scar on his belly. He actually pulled his shirt up and showed us the gnarly scar where he had recently had surgery. It's amazing when asked how many of us have scars, burns, bruises, cuts, wounds, each of them with their own unique story. In the gospel lesson for today, we read about this risen Lord, this post-resurrection Jesus, and he's appearing to the disciples, and he goes into the room and he offers his standard greeting, peace be with you. And then, as if it's just the most normal thing in the world to do, he shows the disciples his scars. Jesus points to his scars. Here he is, the risen Lord. Here he is, the resurrected Lord, the one who is victorious over death itself, the great moment of glory and transcendence and promise and joy. And here he is, standing before them and pointing to his scars. And those scars, like our scars, tell a story. A story of unconditional love. 
a story of sacrifice and of suffering, a story of forgiveness, a story of giving it all, all the grit, all the life, all the sweat, all the effort, all that he could give for us. So that we might taste, so that we might have, so that we might know eternal life. It is one incredible, salvific story, a story that he wanted the disciples to know. And I have to think that Jesus didn't have to show him his hands or his side. I would think if all they needed was to know that he was Jesus, they knew Jesus. You would think his mere presence among them would be evidence enough, especially the fact the scripture notes that he was standing there, and that's very intentional. Jesus stood before them because the stood is emphasized because if he was a corpse, he would be lying there. So it says he stood before them. And remember the little detail about the whole locked doors? Well, I don't know anyone who can walk through doors. So clearly, this is Jesus who they know. And he's standing before them. And he came through locked doors. And oh yeah, he makes his signature greeting in that voice. That is familiar. And he says, peace be with you. All of this you would think would be enough for them to know that this had to be the risen Lord. But no, he adds this extra bit there. He shows them the scars. He wants those gathered here, his disciples, his friends, to know the full, complete story of all that had happened. Now, I am a professor's kid. And as such, I grew up doing really cool things like going to big academic conferences in my free time. We would travel to big cities, and I remember one such conference. It was probably in Chicago or New York, and I was still a kid, but I was old enough that I had studied the Holocaust in school. And I had left something back up in our hotel room, so I got the key card from my parents so that I could go back up to the room and retrieve it. And so I got on the big, shiny, mirrored elevator in the center corridor of that big conference hotel. And there in the elevator was this elderly man, and he was kind of propped up on the handrail there on the side for support. And when I got in the elevator, he looked down at me and he smiled and he said, what floor? And I said, 30 or some such floor like that, some floor up high in the hotel. And so he reached up to press that 30 button, and as he did so, his sleeve fell backward and revealed a tattoo of a number across his forearm. We rode the entire way in that elevator in a kind of heavy knowing silence. I didn't have to ask him what happened to him. 
his arm told the story. There is something truly amazing when you think about it, that God, our God, the God, the God that is bigger than the cosmos, the God that is so close to us as our very breath, God who is bigger and longer than all time and all centuries and all generations, that God is vulnerable enough to want his scars to be part of his story. Again, I don't think he had to do this. Jesus is God after all. He could have just focused on the resurrection. He could have just focused on the promise and on eternal life and on the transcendence and on the new beginnings and all that good stuff. But Jesus in that moment is saying to all of us, whatever our scars and our wounds and our hurts might be, that even our scars are part of our unique, beautiful story. Last weekend, I was driving through Briar Creek Shopping Center in North Raleigh, and I happened by the Bob Evans kind of part of the parking area. And there was this elderly couple there. They were standing by a big sedan. And then out of nowhere ran up these two kids. They were maybe eight and ten years of age. And the four of them, the kids and that elderly couple, they just embraced in this huge bear hug. And they stood there for many moments just holding one another in this big embrace and rocking back and forth. Now, I am not a particularly sentimental person by nature, and these were complete strangers in a strip mall parking lot. And yet, I found myself fighting back tears. Now, I don't know the story there exactly, but I imagine, I would guess, that the older couple were the grandparents who were now fully vaccinated and were able to hug their grandchildren for the very first time in over a year. It was a hug full of love and wholehearted joy. And it was made all the more special because captured in that hug was the months and months and months of longing and ache and hurt. The truth of the matter is, that's what scars do. They give meaning and purpose to our life stories. To be honest, I'm not really sure the disciples got this. Here is Jesus showing them his hands and his side, the very marks of the pain and the betrayal that he had experienced. And the scripture tells us that the disciples were, quote, overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Overjoyed. Overjoyed, that seems kind of an inappropriate reaction to have when one bears one's wounds. I would have thought they would have been silent or ashamed, not overjoyed. 
disciples as a whole didn't get it. Thomas did. A bit later, when the disciples, that group, went and they saw Thomas, they said to Thomas, we have seen the Lord. They didn't say anything about the fact the Lord had showed them his scars. It is Thomas. Thomas is the one who's fixated on those scars. Thomas who brings it up. Thomas who is incredulous and he's argumentative. And Thomas says, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and unless I put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now I have to believe that Thomas knew something about scars. Now, Thomas knew their very importance. He was probably feeling a bit hurt himself. Left out, abandoned, acutely aware that everyone else had had this amazing experience of getting to see Jesus, the risen Lord, standing before them, but not him. Perhaps Thomas felt selectively excluded. Perhaps it was kind of one of those Brady Bunch, Marsha, Marsha complexes where everyone else was at the party, but not him. Everyone else got to see Jesus, but not him. He was not lucky enough. He was not smart enough, not holy enough, not good enough, not worthy enough. I still recall my childhood friend crying to me that she just didn't get fractions. And it seemed to her that everyone else got fractions. She said to me, I just feel so dumb. I feel like I'm walking around the school with the letters D-U-M across my forehead. I didn't feel that was the moment to point it out. But we get it. We get the hurt feeling of feeling left out. Truth is, we weren't there that Easter night either. We have only heard about it. We have only read about it. We were not there that night when Jesus appeared. We were not There, we're separated by the time and space from the actual event. And we get that desire to have seen Jesus, to have experienced Jesus firsthand. And we get the resentment that others did. But we did not. For Thomas, seeing the scars was not enough. Thomas, wallowing in his own hurt, demands to touch the scars. He wants to touch them, to feel them, to physically feel firsthand the very places where Jesus was hurt, where the nails were driven in, where the sword pierced his side, to feel it firsthand so that he might know the truth of the resurrection and know the meaning and the purpose of Christ's full story. I love then those three little words we find in verse 26. It says, a week later. 
I love them especially because that's where we sit here today too. We sit here a week later, a week after Easter, a week later, the scripture tells us, Jesus comes back. And it feels a bit like that movie Groundhog Day. Because things happen much like they did on that Easter Eve. Again, we find the disciples and they are huddled together in the house. Again, the doors were locked shut. Again, it says Jesus appears and stood before them. Again, Jesus comes in and he offers his signature greeting, peace be with you. Same story, same action, but a week later. Although, not entirely the same. For this time, Thomas is not off somewhere doing who knows what. This time, Thomas is there, experiencing Jesus firsthand along with this, uh, the others. And this time, Jesus doesn't simply show the scars. This time, Jesus looks right at Thomas and invites Thomas to touch the scars. He says to Thomas that he can do what he had asked to do, that he can put his fingers on Christ's hands. He can put his hand on Christ's side. Interestingly, in the scripture, we don't know if Thomas actually does it. It doesn't tell us that he did or that he didn't. In fact, I would argue that whether Thomas did or didn't isn't actually the point. The point is that Jesus offers. Jesus chooses to show Thomas his wounds. Jesus chooses to offer Thomas to touch his wounds. Jesus invites the very people who need to see and touch the scars the most to do precisely that. Jesus opens his very self to those who feel most left out, most overlooked, most unworthy, those who for whatever reason are not the first to hear the good news, or the second to hear the good news, or the third, or the fourth, or the fifth. To them, to us, Jesus returns a week later. And in fact, I believe the point here is that Jesus continues to return a week later and a week after that. He continues to preach, continues to teach, continues to point to his wounds until every last Thomas in every corner of the world has come to know the story of God's love, scars, and all. Glory to God. Amen. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story. We thank you for the reminder that you are a God who is great and victorious and good. And in that greatness and glory and goodness, you show us your scars. God, as we go forth into the world, knowing that we are in a world that is truly scarred, that we bear bodies that are scarred. May we always know that you are a God of redemption and grace and glory. 
and that in you we might find our hope, our love, and our story. We pray this in your heavenly name. Amen.